Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Angus Hill is just probably the most ridiculous private member's bill I have ever read. It's atrocious. I mean, it completely violates human rights to say and have freedom of expression. And I don't know where he thinks he's right. Chris Sankey, our guest yesterday, First Nations guest and uh, fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute on Charlie Angus' private member's bill, 372, which, uh, well, Mr. Angus seems to uh, believe there's an equivalency between tobacco advertising and uh, advertising for oil and natural gas. Mr. Sankey, by the way, has been willing and told us yesterday he'd be willing to debate Mr. Angus on this program. Unfortunately, Charlie, who's been a guest on this program, did not reply to my email inviting him to come on. So I'll do it again this way. Charlie, um, Chris Sankey's willing to debate you on the show. And I'm more than happy to arrange it. Let's, go, let's get started with the Premier of Alberta. Always, uh, always a pleasure to uh, have Danielle Smith join us on this program. Premier, how are you? I'm fantastic. Nice to talk to you, Roy. Yeah, it's good to talk to you always. Do you have a thought, or just out of the gate, a thought or a comment on the expected ArriveCan report tomorrow from the Auditor General? I can, I can tell you this is part of the reason why governments have to get better at doing these things internally. All I can see is that it seems like it was contracted, then subcontracted, then subcontracted, then there's finally a company that did the work. And we're at a point now where we've got to develop expertise in this. And so I would say our approach in our government is to bring these kinds of projects internally for exactly this reason, so they don't turn into this kind of catastrophe. Yeah, that thing was supposed to cost eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah, that, was the, that was the value of it in the end. But yeah, my goodness, when maybe taking a cut all the way down. You can see how it does escalate. Yeah, yeah. How do I get a job like that? Yeah, no, we don't. We don't want to go there because I wouldn't do it. Premier, let me start with the uh, the controversial issue that you've put forward, and that's the transgender policy, which is going to become law in Alberta. I've received a number of emails. Several of them have been very polite, just wondering why now, and uh, are you uh, directly challenging sound medical um, advice and positioning? Well, as you know, I've been watching this for. For quite some time, um, and I've been I've been meeting with members of the transgender community ever since I was in politics the first time. So there were a few things that we had to address. One of the things that we have to address in my province is that we don't do the top and bottom surgeries in Alberta. We we send people to Quebec for their surgeries, and in some of these cases, there's a 100% complication rate, and so. Not being able to have quality aftercare is, I think, something very important. And I'd heard that many times from other transgender individuals uh, as adults, that getting the lifelong support for hormone treatment as well as the some of the side effects that happen from that. You need you, We need to be able to do a better job connecting doctors with, with uh, the transgender patients. But then it begins a conversation of at what point should a person make a decision about when they get top and bottom surgery, about when they take cross-sex hormones, about... When is the appropriate time to go on puberty blockers and, and halt fertility? And so we've been having conversation as well with parents in, in and watching what's happening in other provinces, watching what's happening around the world. 
And it, it did strike me that in the UK, they've taken a major U-turn with some of the things that came out of their gender identity clinic, Tavistock, which I think is slated to close down in March of 2024. Same with Finland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark. They've also now taken a, a bit more of a wait and see and a caution approach when it comes to these issues. And, and so the, the issue is evolving and there isn't consensus in the medical community. And this is just too important for kids to make these kinds of decisions as children. We think these are adult decisions. That's part of the reason we put it in place. I spoke with uh, two transgender women, mothers, last weekend. One you consulted with, the other you did not. And uh, they both voiced their view, the parental involvement, parental engagement in their children's lives at a particularly challenging, difficult time is essential. Yeah, and I, and I think most parents feel that. It doesn't matter whether you're transgender or from the LGB community or whether you're, you're, you're straight. You want to know what's going on with your kids. And I think that the, the main thing I would say is, is that we, we want to make sure that if a child is going to be going through this uh, major trans, transition, major transformation, then, then parents and families need to be involved. There's a lot that goes on with a child. And uh, they need the counseling support. They need the adults in the in their life to, to, to support them. And you can't do that if um, the schools are keeping secrets or, uh, or, they're, or they're not involved. So, uh, so we are, are taking the view that once a, a child has made the decision that they want to transition, they want to come out to their school community, they want to change their name officially, then parents have to be brought into the loop on that. The parents can't be the only ones not to know uh, because ultimately in a, a school community, we'll get back to the parents and then you'll end up with even more trouble and difficulty. We, we think the view is let's be, let's be open about this and let's make sure every uh, adult in that child's life is involved so that they can support them. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. It, uh, it will get back to the parents. and People can say all they want about not engaging parents, but it will get back to the parents. What I found interesting as well, let me switch horses in midstream here. Opening an Alberta office in Ottawa, right under the noses of Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Gibo, how much fun was that? That was a lot of fun. I, I, know, I know that I've been looking at, because the international offices now fall under my portfolio as intergovernmental affairs minister, and I noticed that Quebec has a very strong presence around the world. They've got 34 international offices, including one in Ottawa. And it got me thinking, wow, um, it's, it does seem to me Quebec has a heck of a lot more influence on Ottawa decision-making than we do out in Alberta. So that was a bit of the inspiration for saying, if it's good for Quebec, then why don't we do it too? And, and we had a, a really good launch. My, my guy on the ground there is James Carpenter, and he put together a couple of great events. And I think you'll see that my ministers will now have a staging area to be able to visit Ottawa more frequently. Uh, First Nations um, and the chiefs also joined us to open up the office. They'll be able to have a, a place to meet with their counterparts as well in Ottawa. So I'm looking forward to, to Alberta asserting uh, ourselves a little bit more strongly on the national stage. Yeah. Uh, you did that in, uh, in, in Washington as well. What reception did you receive from the Americans? You know, part of my visit to Washington is there's going to be a change in government this year one way or the other. There might be a change in the Senate, might be a change in the House of Representatives, might be a change in the White House. And we have a, a lot of, of, of things we need to talk about with the Americans. That, that it, it, I think we all have a good relationship regardless of who's in the White House. I mean, we already have $161 billion worth of trade between Alberta 
and the United States. Um, they are our biggest trading partner. Many of the states um, get most of their, uh, their, uh, their import products from us. And so we, I wanted to meet with a few key senators so that they understood how important that relationship was and to hopefully avoid what happened last time. When Biden first got elected, you saw that he one of the first things he did was cancel Keystone XL. That's right. And um, I, we, we know that the Americans should be relying on us if they are looking for additional supply. They shouldn't be relying on Iran and Venezuela. And I want to tr- make sure that we're trying to get the Americans to look at North America as an integrated market with us, with the, with the Mexicans as well, because there's always protectionist pressures that happen in the United States. But I think we've got a special relationship with them. And I just wanted to, to make sure that that was underscored. Oh, good for you, because uh, the relationship with our federal government is largely non-existent uh, for your province and for Saskatchewan. All you need, though, is more more liberal MPs, and then you'll get favors. I believe that's <laughs> what a Trudeau minister said, which is that effect. You can text us at 877-399-9898, which... Uh, Less did in Saskatchewan and less texts. Charlie Angus will not come on your program to discuss his private member's bill because it makes no sense. It's an attack on the people of the West. We certainly heard Chris Sankey's point of view on that. Premier, your thoughts on uh, Mr. Angus's bill. I mean, it doesn't have a snowball's chance in that hot place of becoming law. But they, it does have a following. There are people who will say it's a great idea. And Mr. Uh, Angus is comparing the oil industry to the tobacco industry of the 1990s. It's a ridiculous reach. But what's your sense of, uh, of, this, of this bill? And is it in isolation or, or is, there, um, is there an alliance which is supporting Mr. Angus? Well, I can tell you my, my message, whether I go to uh, Ottawa or whether I go to Washington or whether it's in my home province, is that Alberta with our abundant oil and natural gas resources, can provide energy security, energy affordability. With carbon capture utilization and storage, we can reduce emissions at home. We can also export LNG and ammonia abroad to displace coal and reduce emissions internationally. And it's an important part of our reconciliation with First Nations because they're increasingly taking on an ownership stake. Now, what I just said to you, if this law passes, I would be fined up to $500,000 I could get a million-dollar uh, fine, actually, um, if I, because they said, it, uh, I guess, a company. So the company of the, of the government of Alberta would get a million-dollar fine, and I could face jail time of two years. Now, I don't know if I would be if that would be stackable, because I broke the law five times in the statements that I just made. But that just shows you how utterly absurd it is what the NDP is doing. And I don't, I'm not sure who it is that they're, they're trying to, to placate. But, uh, but I can tell you that there, there will be no resonance for that kind of message in Alberta. And maybe we can say, well, at least it won't pass. But how alarming that they put it forward in the first place. Talk mm-hmm. about tone death. Yeah. And the fact that it got past the leader and its, uh, and its actual private members' legislation was put forward. I'm, I'm hoping to speak with Mr. Singh in the next couple of days. And certainly that's going to be a topic of discussion. But you just talked about the economy and the economic impact of, uh, of this particular legislation were it to pass. I also noticed on your X account or Twitter account, you, uh, you posted what uh, Mr. Gibo's 2035 energy policy would cost the Canadian economy, the Alberta economy, actually cost all of us. Just remind us about that, please. 
Well, it's an extraordinary number, you know, $600 billion. It's uh, over 100,000 jobs. And when you think of of what, um, because what it is, is it's not an emissions cap, it's a production cap. And when you reduce production, then you reduce all the revenue flows that go along with that. All of the royalty revenues that come to us, all of the corporate and personal income tax revenues from the, the people working in the industry that go to us and the federal government. And you end up not only harming Alberta, but you end up harming the, the entire country because we are such a, a large contributor with all of our various forms of taxation to the the, uh, the benefit of confederation. It, it's baffling that they would want to aim to go in this direction. But but this is this is what I've determined that Stephen Gibo does is that he announces absurd policies, uh, makes us go to court to get our constitutional rights back, and in the meantime, it has a chilling effect on investment. So he's trying to scare away future investment. And and that's the, I think, the really sinister part of, of how he operates. But we're just not going to let that happen. We're not going to put up with it anymore. What he's doing is against the Constitution. They keep getting the courts ruling against them. And we owe it to the people of Alberta and to our, our friends across the rest of the country to make sure that they don't succeed in this. We, we can produce this this resource in a way that uh, that reduces emissions. Over time, we want to get to carbon neutrality by 2050. There is no reason for them to be trying to crush the Alberta economy and take away our ability to develop our resources. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the Americans, as you know, Joe Biden has paused issuing LNG export permits, liquid natural gas, would be a tremendous opportunity for Alberta um, and a need to, for the trudeau Gibo tag team to get out of the way if we have the infrastructure to get our LNG uh, to Tidewater and to the countries that need it because the Americans are stepping, stepping back for a moment at least. We could take advantage of that. You know, I talked to Senator Joe Manchin, who is the, one of the leading Democrat senators in the U.S. He's unfortunately retiring because he's been such a champion of our, our energy sector. And one of the things he said is, even with the pause, they're still going to be able to increase their LNG production and export fourfold. So, um, so that's where they're at. They're going to continue to grow. But even still, um, the fact that they've they've tried to virtue signal on this in the first place, and we see the same thing happening in Canada, I, I, I think misses the point. They all should go back and read what we signed on to for the, for, out of the COP28 summit. It says right there, natural gas is an important transition fuel. Because we all know that our European friends and neighbors need uh, natural gas. Our, our friends in South Korea and Japan need to have the, the products made from, uh, from either LNG or, or ammonia. And we have an obligation, I believe, as a responsible citizen of the world, to make sure that our, our friends and, and neighbors and allies are, are going to be able to have the energy that they need. So I believe that having um, a robust expansionary LNG policy is, is good for our country, and it's also going to reduce emissions around the world, and we should be embracing it. I was just, uh, I'm in Hamilton, as you know, and I was just walking along the uh, corridor at the radio station yesterday, looking out on the street, and a big city bus went by, and, and bold lettering on the bus, powered by natural gas. And, you know, it just makes such sense, except for certain individuals. We have a minute. Premier, who do you like in the Super Bowl? Well, uh, I I, tend, I I don't know the teams all that well. My parents were always Tom Brady fans, and I always go to my mom to ask her who she's rooting for. But she hasn't found a new a new team that she likes now that he's <laughs> retired. So I'm just gonna watch it and eat some eat some nachos and enjoy it. Yeah, we'll see how many times Taylor Swift shows up on the TV screen. <laughs> 
Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, Reaver. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Thanks, Ray. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 